but he, he, he made a remark when he was speaking and it, it caught my attention and then at the end he talked about receiving Christ and I realized that was what I needed in my life, what I had been missing and what I'd been searching for. Welcome to Behind My Journey, a podcast that is for our community. In today's episode, I sit down with Robert Johnson, a pastor for 45 years. Robert talks about his life as a non-believer before he eventually dedicated his life to God. Welcome to this episode of the Behind My Journey podcast. My name is Quinn Eaton, and sitting with me today for the season two finale of the Behind My Journey podcast Robert Johnson. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. So I, I kind of talked about, not to put extra pressure or added pressure on you, but this is wrapping up our second season uh, of the Behind My Journey podcast. I think a lot of people would be surprised that we do seasons. And then I was actually even talking to you that there's not necessarily usually a, a plan as far as how many episodes we're going to do this season. But but finally, we we're just like, hey, you know what? This is the same amount that we did for season one. <laughs> so this will be the end of season two. So a uh, little bit of organization, and, and I, I know there are going to be some improvements and stuff uh, coming up in the next next year. But that, all that being said, this is the final episode of season two. So I just wanted to thank you for sitting down and doing this. And usually whenever we get started, I kind of introduce uh, the person that I am interviewing. So talking with you a little bit before we started. You're a former pastor. Correct. You were a pastor for 45 years. Mm-hmm. You have been attending Journey Church for around 14 years and used to be on staff, on a staff role, but now you're just a volunteer in the suite. Correct. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, all of that in a second, but the most important information that you gave me is that, yes, Matt Johnson is your son. He is. So how often do people make that connection or, I guess, ask ask like, hey, you know what, are, are you Matt's Matt's dad? Yeah. How often does that happen? Actually, here at church, probably a couple of times a month. Yeah. Yeah, somebody will say, are you? Is he <laughs> your son? And I'll go, yes, and most days we claim him. Yeah, most days you claim him. That's yeah. what I was going to ask. Maybe there are some days whenever you don't. But it is an interesting thing that, that I'll have to, and I'm sure we'll get into at some point, how you, of course, are a former pastor, and then that kind of gets passed along. And, of course, Matt is the pastor here at Journey Church. Was that something that you saw happening? Was that something that, was it like you saw him as a, as a pastor prodigy kind of thing whenever he was younger, or, or how did that process take place? Well, it wasn't planned, Okay, uh, but we saw it happening in his life, and when he was about 12, he, he went out and spoke for the first time. Mm-hmm. And once he, once he did that once, he kept getting more and more invitations, and he was so young, he didn't have a driver's license, so his mom had to drive him, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just kind of built from there, and we watched it develop in his life. And how is it, of course, seeing your son kind of as as you're still being a pastor, growing up and seeing him kind of, you can you can tell that he's going to step into a role like that. How was that for you? Oh, that was it was a joy for us because we we wanted all of our children to serve the Lord mm-hmm. and to do something that would honor Him. And uh, then we watched Matt as he developed, and, and God led him into this. And he, he led Matt to, to start a church instead of going to a traditional church. Mm-hmm. And we got to watch that develop and over time, and it was all, always exciting to see what God was going to do. And I don't mean to bring up the stereotype, but usually if you're the pastor's son or the pastor's daughter, you kind of stray away from the path, right? But it does, it does seem like the, the story that has been laid out 
uh, with your family is is a really good one. And of course, Matt does a great job. And now we all know where he got all of the skills, right? Do you yes. take credit? Yes, his mother. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. So um, after being a pastor for 45 years, which I know is a big part of your life, and and we'll talk about uh, in a second, but you've been attending Journey Church for 14 years. So how was it to go from a role where you're in the front to kind of stepping back and, of course, being an audience member? I really thought it would be difficult. Mm -hmm. But when I came on staff, uh, I really didn't have any problems, even with not speaking every week. And I figured that was really going to be the one that caused me a lot of difficulty. But it didn't. And, you know, that's something the Lord did. Uh, I think in my life to, to take away that that urge and that desire and it not be a negative. Uh, mm -hmm. And Matt does a great job speaking, and so you know I enjoy listening to him, and and uh, then I get to correct him, you know, or critique <laughs> him afterwards, which is always fun. Naturally, yeah, you have to. I mean, it's one of those things. So uh, you were also on staff for Journey uh, for Journey Church. What role did you necessarily? Uh, play in, in the church for a while. I was family ministry director. Family ministry director. Yeah. Okay, and now you've shifted into a volunteer role Correct. with the SWEET team, which is uh, the area that I usually volunteer in. So how has that been? Also, kind of the, the SWEET, of course, here at Journey Church is inviting people in that are first-time guests. So how meaningful is that to be a, a part of that volunteer staff? Well, it, it fits my, my shape of mm -hmm. who I am because I, I love people. Yeah. I love meeting people, talking to people. I've never met a stranger. Um, but then in addition to that, we get to deal with those that are here and letting us know they're, they're first-time guests. Now, they may have been coming for three months or four months and finally got enough courage to come mm -hmm. into the suite. But we get to meet those and allow the Lord to use us to make them comfortable and to feel at home while they're here. Right, right. And speaking of your shape and, and the person that you are, it's always interesting to hear, and uh, in, in, in all the interviews that I've done for the Behind My Journey podcast, hearing about that first time that you ended up placing your faith in Jesus. So, of course, you're a pastor. Uh, some might say that you have a, a very strong connection with God. But how did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, vividly. Okay. Uh, I wasn't raised in church. Um, I had some friends who were Christians, and they were always talking to me, and I was, I was anti-Christian. Really? Didn't like them at all as far as religion. Mm -hmm. uh, and they just kept on and kept on and kept on. And finally, I agreed to go to a revival meeting, and, and I asked Christ to come into my heart on a Tuesday night, June 23rd, 1970. Wow. And so that's such a—I think whenever you hear a pastor's story, you would just assume that it all kind of progressed naturally, and there was a natural progression where, oh, yeah, raised in church and then got close to this and that. Yeah. And so you were anti Yes, church, almost. very much so. Right. So how how would you describe that 180 whenever you did go to that revival? Because you said you remembered it vividly. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, vividly in my mind, I can go back to it. I know where I was sitting. I, know, I remember the preacher. Uh, I remember some of what he was saying, a little bit of it. I actually played tic-tac-toe in the hymnal, the front of the <laughs> hymnal that night because I didn't want to listen. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I went was to get these two friends off my back where they'd leave me alone. Uh but he, he, he made a remark when he was speaking, and it, it caught my attention. And then at the end, he talked about receiving Christ, and I realized that was what I needed in my life, what I had been missing and what I'd been searching for. And so with hindsight, looking back at those friends that were trying to get you to just maybe even step into church, right? Not even They didn't maybe even want you to believe. They just wanted you to be in a, in a place where other believers were. Yep. How 
big of an impact is that now looking back and of course seeing that your career ended up being a pastor for 45 years well if you had asked me back when i was 19 what i'd be doing when i was 72 this would not have been anywhere <laughs> near it uh, but they cared enough and they loved enough as you said just to try to get me inside the doors yeah uh, and you know I, I know they wanted me to be a believer but I think the, a victory for them was just me showing up. Yeah. And it, it made a 180. Uh, it actually reset the direction of my life uh, from my grandparents to my parents. Uh, everything had been flowing one direction, and now I've done a 180, and everything's going the opposite direction. and uh, changed it completely. So what would you say your life was like before that transformation? Because like you said, it, it sounds like there wasn't really anyone in your family that was involved in church and then you kind of changed the pace of everything. Yeah. Uh, before I met Christ, uh, I, I really didn't feel like anybody cared anything about me. Uh, there's a verse in Psalm that says, no man cared for my soul. And when I read that, I thought, boy, that was me, the way I was. And people always say, well, your mom and dad loved you. I, yeah, I assume they did. I don't remember them ever telling me. Uh, but I think they did love me as much as they knew how. Uh, but I grew up, uh, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, Mom uh, and he were divorced, remarried, divorced and remarried, just a cycle. Then they finally divorced for good. Uh, Mom bought a bar, and she worked there. And that, that was how I was raised in that kind of an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about church, never remember going to church, uh, never remember hearing much about Christ uh, other than from some friends occasionally. And I was always the guy that I... I I love to debate them, and when I would debate a believer, I always won uh, because I'd ask questions and they wouldn't have answers for it, and they'd finally get frustrated and walk away, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't want anything to do with them. That's why I did it. Um, do you feel like kind of equipping yourself with those questions to kind of shoot down believers ended up actually helping you whenever it came time to yeah. realizing what you wanted to believe in? Uh, <clears throat> I think it did. The questions that I, that I asked and what I did were really a defense mm -hmm. uh, to, to try to keep them at arm's length yeah. and not let them know who I really was. And, and few people did because I was very good at, <laughs> at hiding that. And so did you feel obligated to try to bring Christ to other people in your life? Or was that something that kind of happened naturally? Was it like, oh, wow, Robert has, has turned around and now he's, he's starting to live for Christ and then it, it like kind of was contagious, or was it something that you kind of put effort into? Like, hey, I just this just happened in my life. This was a huge change, and I want I want to see the same thing for you. Was it that kind of thing? Yeah, I was 19 when I was saved, and there was such a change in my life, inside and outside. And since I've never met a stranger, I would talk to anybody mm -hmm. and try to tell them about the change in my life. Some listened, some didn't. Uh, and it, it just came, it really came natural for me, and I didn't struggle with sharing my faith and sharing what Christ had done for me. Uh, I was so excited about it, I had to tell everybody. Yeah, <laughs> and that's naturally what, what people do when they're excited. So, uh, but what was that feeling that, I know that you said like everything changed inside you, outside, externally, internally, every, everything was different. So how would you describe the feeling of one day going from somebody that was trying to convince people that God didn't exist and then flipping it and saying that you're going out and telling everybody how powerful God's love is. Two words. <clears throat> First off was I had peace. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. That was something I had never known in 19 years. Uh, and I finally had peace. I had peace with myself, and I had peace with God. The second word that I think of was the word love because I didn't really feel like anybody cared about me. And all of a sudden, I realized that the one who created everything cared about me as much as he did anybody else. Yeah. And I'm just trying to, to, of course, get in your head a little bit on this one because whenever you have God in your life and you can feel his presence, you know that he's there. So had you felt God's presence before making that decision to give your life to him? Was it something that he had tried to kind of say like, hey, Robert, I'm here. Like, if you need me, I'm right here beside you. Was was there that kind of presence, or was it just snap of the fingers as soon as you went to that revival, you felt you felt his presence? When I look back over those years, <clears throat> there were times that now I realize God was trying to speak to me. Uh, for example, we were in Oklahoma. We were I drove a truck, tractor trailer for a while, and there were four of us in Oklahoma City. We had a friend that was going to ORU, <clears throat> so we parked at a truck stop, hitchhiked in, a guy in a Volkswagen picks us up. Four of us cram into that Volkswagen with him, and he drives us, lets us out at the entrance. All the other guys get out, and as I get out, he says, remember, God loves you. Made me so mad I could bite a nail <laughs> into it, slammed the door, uh-huh. and walked off. And after I accepted Christ, one of the first things I thought about was what that man had said to me that had no impact on me at the time. Right. But obviously, subconsciously, it had been there and working all those years because I thought of it immediately. It maybe planted a seed. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's really interesting because I think I think I don't think people realize how powerful those small moments can be. Because, like you said, it even actually angered you at the time, but then it probably means a lot. I mean, if you look oh, yeah. back on your faith journey, that's an important part of it. Even though it was just a split second thing where someone said that God loved you. Yep. So, you give your life to Christ at the age of nineteen, and then you basically give give your whole career, right? You, you dedicate your life to God and, and you're a pastor. So how often did you lean on those times where you didn't believe in your messages and, and as you were a pastor for 45 years? I, I, I used those as examples uh, a whole lot at the beginning. And then one day I thought, you know what? I'm talking way too much about what I was mm-hmm. and not near enough about what I am. And so I shortened what I would say about how I was before I met Christ. And I would start talking to him about the difference he'd made in my life since then. Right. And whenever you would kind of, or whenever you realized that, uh, maybe that change that you needed to make in your sermons, did you, did you feel a difference? Were people coming up to you and, and noticing a difference or was it just kind of an easy progression there? It was an easy progression. Uh, People tend to really like to hear the bad part of how you were uh, more than they do the good part of how you've become. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I would share my, my story, people would always listen and, and whatnot. Uh, but I wanted, to, I wanted to change the direction and get it off of me as much as I could and a whole lot more on him. Right. And so what what is life like now? Because now you've had years of experience, both being a pastor, just being a Christ follower, uh, what would you say your peace is? Because you talked about those, those two things that you felt, and one of them was that peace. Has that been a constant thing since you gave your life to God? It's been an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I would make sure that I was surrendered to Him, doing what He wanted me to do, <clears throat> spending time with Him in a quiet time, praying, 
all of those uh, spiritual habits that we need to develop in our lives. Uh, I would have that peace, but if I would withdraw from that and forget that, forget to do it, I would sense I was losing that peace, and I'd go, what's wrong? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, well, I'm not doing what I need to mm-hmm. to, to develop my relationship with him. Right, and that's that's the thing that I think a lot of people can sometimes struggle with, even myself, is sometimes I just expect to hear from them, but I don't put in the work to, to develop the relationship because it's just like any other relationship that you have in your life, and the more time that you put into it, the more that you get out of it. Would right. you agree? With, I don't want to speak nope. for you on that, but... You're right on target. Okay, so what are some of those spiritual habits that you feel like has, has helped you stay connected and, and kind of kind of taken that uh, ebb and flow and made it a little bit more steady? Uh, well, one of them is a, is a daily quiet time. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I know when we say that, people go, I don't have an hour to spend in this. You don't have to spend an hour. Uh, there have been times I've read three or four verses of a morning, and I'd be rushed or whatever, and I'd sit down, I'd read three or four verses, I'd pray for a couple of minutes, and then I'm off doing my job, you mm-hmm. know, what I, what I regularly did. But I, I, I've started making sure that I do my quiet time every single morning. And that's, that's major for me because I'm not a morning person. I'm a night guy. So quiet time <laughs> at 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm good. Yeah. Quiet time at 6 o'clock in the morning, that's a whole different story. <laughs> and so I had to, I've had to really work at developing that consistently in my life, uh, reading the scripture, spending some time talking to him and allowing him to talk to me. And then another one for, for me is to make sure that I'm with other people who believe in him and uh, developing those relationships because you need other people in your life. Definitely. And that's a perfect transition. I don't know if you did it on purpose, but speaking of other people in your life, who would you say are some key people that as you think back on your faith journey, were, were huge impacts on you. I know initially those two friends that probably invited you to church in the first place, you could speak on them a little bit more, but but some other people that kind of pop into your head whenever you think of that. Yeah, th- those two friends are, are major uh, points in my life because they cared enough about me just to keep on and keep on and keep on. And actually, I finally just told them, yeah, I'll go to revival with you so they'd leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And I said, what time are you going to pick me up? And they told me. So I left 45 minutes before time and made sure I wasn't home. But they didn't give up. They kept after it. And so yeah. the next night, they arrived early and caught me, and I had to go. Uh, so, you know, their consistency uh, in, in my life is important. But then there's a guy by the name of Bill Whitlow. Uh, Bill's older than I am, and that is old. But uh-huh. Bill was there for me uh, after I became a believer. Uh, I would <clears throat> go over to his house, <clears throat> and I would spend hours with him talking about Scripture and talking about Jesus and what it means in your life. <clears throat> and the poor man had to get up the next morning and go to work, and I stayed till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And I didn't think anything about it then. Now that I'm older, I think what I did to him. <laughs> but he was faithful to do it uh, day after yeah. day, night after night. Uh, there's another guy that was a Methodist preacher, and right, right after I accepted Christ, he took me in, and we studied Scripture together. Uh, we prayed together, and <clears throat> I've never forgotten those people mm-hmm. that really gave of themselves to make sure that I develop, developed and became the person that God wanted me to be. And in the same way that we were talking about, you know, in a relationship with God, there are things that you have to do to develop the relationship so that God can, of course, speak to you and, and be a part of your life. Those people were pouring things into you Absolutely. in order to see uh, the results and benefits that, of course, have come from it. And 
let's just say that, I mean, there's a lot of great things that we, we've heard from, from you today sharing your journey. Uh, and I don't know if there are specific things that you would want to touch on, but the question that I always end with is if someone was considering taking action that you took. So maybe it is, you know, stepping into a situation where you might have been uncomfortable, like at the revival or just being open to hearing more about God, whatever it is that they might be struggling with and, and you think you could help uh, them in, the, in their situation, in the season of their life. What kind of advice would you give to them that are listening? Most of us are, number one, we're afraid. Uh, we're afraid of the unknown. Coming to church for people who have never been to church is an unknown. Mm-hmm. And they're a little concerned, a little leery, a little afraid to do it. And I'd say just step out, take that first step. We're not going to bite. Uh, we're, we're not going to. We're a little different than some other churches because we're not going to put you down. We're not going to look down on you. Uh, you can come in and just be one of us and feel right at home and no problem. If you have any problems, I'm in the suite. Just look me up. That's I'll right. sit with you, whatever, you know, uh, because we really care about them and we'll, we want them to have a better life. Uh, we want them to experience what it means to know Christ as their Savior. Uh, and, and we'll sit by them. We'll do whatever we can to help them. Uh, and, and so I'd say find somebody that you trust and ask those hard questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not afraid of those questions. Ask them. God already knows what they are. You're not going to make him mad. And you're not going to make us mad. So ask and, and allow us to answer it, and, and then you decide what you want to do with it. And that's really good advice. And, Robert, your story has been great for just me to listen to. I know that it's helped me a lot, and so I know that it's going to help all the people that are listening to this Season 2 finale of the Behind My Journey podcast. So, Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind My Journey. If you or anyone that you know would like to have your journey featured on this podcast, send us an email at podcast at Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And if this message spoke to you, please help us spread the word and share it with others. Until next time, my name is Quinn Eaton, and this has been Behind My Journey.